Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. If you've been coming for a little while, you know we've been digging into the joy of the Lord. The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we're in a phase of this now where we're saying, but what makes God happy? What are the things that delight the heart of God? And I want to draw our attention this morning to two verses in Jeremiah. And, and I admit, I'm a little fond of the PowerPoint. You might have noticed that. <laughs> right? I, I tend to think that having words on the screen, it helps those of us for whom English is not our first language. It helps those of us who have difficulty with hearing. And, and it helps us in our learning with visual and so on. I, I then also thought, well, because we won't have the screen this morning, I also thought, well, this would be a chance for us to do some more discussion. I'm going to give you some questions and you can talk it over together. But given the limitations of our plumbing, I'm going to opt for the more time-efficient approach uh, and do what the math professors would typically say is the remainder can be left as an exercise for the student. Uh, meaning there's some things here to dialogue about together as households, as families, as friends, uh, here as we go in the week. Because God says some things in these two verses that hopefully challenge our values and our perspectives and hopefully adjust our perception and view of who he is and what God values. So here we go. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 says this. This is what the Lord says. All right, so the next part, who's talking? Lord. Right? I mean, it's kind of helpful when you get cued up like that. It's like T-ball. Instead of it being a pitch, the ball is like right there waiting to be hit. And, and so here is what the Lord says. Here it goes. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength. Or the rich man boasts of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So there's two lists of three in here, right? There's the first set in verse 23 where he says, don't let certain people boast in certain things. And then in verse 24, there's another three pack. And God's saying, here are three things that I delight in. And there's so much for us to get a hold of in the contrast between those. And I'm just going to focus in and take us through this a little bit. Notice this, whatever we boast in shows what we value and rely on. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And, and whatever we're boasting in reveals what we value highly and the things we rely on, what we trust. So don't let the wise man boast in his wisdom. Well, what's going on? Well, with wisdom... We're, we're boasting, we're relying on our knowledge, our achievements, maybe how many college degrees we have. And there's something feels really good about being an expert. 
and just knowing how to get things done. And so whatever comes, whatever might happen in the future, I'll be ready to handle that. And don't let the rich man boast in his riches. Well, boasting in our riches, it's accomplishment, it's worth, it's security. The things that we think make us somebody and make us significant and mean I don't have to worry about the future and what's ahead. That's why Psalm 49 verse 6 says about certain people that they trust in their wealth and boast in their great riches. Two parallel ideas. We boast in the things we trust in. And for many of us, we want it's tempting to trust in our riches and to boast in what we've been able to accumulate, accomplish, how much we earn, how much we have. We have verbal ways of doing that, but there's also nonverbal ways that we do that with certain brand items. The kind, of, the kind of car we drive is not just transportation. It can be a status statement as well. And the third one on God's list here is, yeah, well, sorry, was the riches. Uh, don't let the strong man boast in his strength. Right? Our accomplishments are mighty. If we are tough and we're strong and you don't mess with me, there's a sense of peace through strength and security that we can get through that as well. And these are the achievements that we think are going to allow us to be able to say to ourselves and to other people, I've arrived, I'm somebody, I'm worthwhile, I'm significant. And the Lord comes and he's very in our face. He says, no, you may be a wise man, but don't boast in that. Don't find your glory in your wisdom. I may have blessed you with plenty of riches, but don't glory in that. And if you're strength and you're fortunate enough to be physically strong or very capable in other things, that's not where it's at. Now, we might see that little list of three as top competitors for what God's place is supposed to be in our lives. And so God comes and he challenges that. And so what's the alternative? What alternative does God give? Well, in verse 24, he says, instead of boasting in your own accomplishments, achievements, possessions, and talents, he says, boast in this. Make this what you value and what you rely on, that you know and understand me. That we would know the Lord. You know, it shows us God actually is inviting us into knowing him more than ever before. He says, this is what is so worthwhile. Come on, get to know me. If you want to boast in something, here's something worth your energy and your attention to learn, to gain. It's the understanding and knowledge of God. And it's like God would delight to say, she gets me. He understands what matters to me. They know what I'm like. This week, while I was commuting up to the office on a day that it wasn't raining, I was on my bicycle, I got passed by this young guy and his dad. The dad was riding a very spiffy electronic-assisted road bike, uh, and the young guy was wearing a USA Cycling Team jersey. Uh, he had been in the National Team Development Program, and he was riding this spiffy bike, and they, they go past me. And, and so I asked them, hey, do you mind if I hang with you, kind of as long as I can? Uh, and they turned out to be really nice. Uh, they didn't ride me into the ground. We got to talk as we went along, got to know him a bit. And so in his development program and opportunities to work with the national team, he starts name dropping these famous professional cycling names that you might not have heard of, but some of us geek out about. <laughs> and and so he says, he says to me, do you know George Hinkabee? I'm like, well, 
of course I know who he is, but I've never met him. You know, and he starts talking about how he's met George Hincapie and they got to ride together and they got to talk a little bit, right? And so often when it comes to people who are a celebrity in our world, we know who they are, but come on, we don't know them, right? And even this nice kid that I was riding with, he's gotten to meet George. He's gotten to ride with George, but come on, how well does he really know George, right? Can you tell where I'm going with this? Because we can know about the Lord. We can name drop about God. Say, oh yeah, I know who the Lord is. I know who the Lord. I know Jesus rose from the dead. I know he's God. I grew up in church. But do you know him? Do you understand what he's like? Look, you may have met him. You may have had an encounter with God. But do you understand what makes him tick? What he values? What his personality is? The things that delight his heart. Please don't settle for just name dropping about God. Don't settle for just meeting him, getting to interact with him a little bit in your world or in some place. No, press in to know and understand the Lord. And God's inviting this. God's inviting it. Do you want something really worth boasting of? It's not how many university degrees you've accumulated. It's not your financial net worth. It's not how big your biceps measure, guys. It's not how small your waistline is. It's not how capable, athletic, or strong we are. It's this. God's saying if you want something really valuable, worth treasuring and boasting in, it's this. Knowing and understanding the Lord. He says, come, get to know me. Understand me. And then he tells us, What aspect of understanding and knowing him is at the top of his mind right there? He says, but let him who boasts, boasts in this. That he knows and understands me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight. He hones in on a few specific things about what delights him. Now, pause for a minute. Realize, when God's setting this up and inviting us to know him, he doesn't make it a free-for-all. He gives us specific aspects of his character and personality. He says, these are the things that you ought to know about me. But if we were asked, this was the question I was going to have us discuss, so take it to lunch. If... If you were being asked, okay, tell me two things, three things about who God is. What things would come to your mind? What would be your top three list, if you will, about, okay, so who is this God? Let's say you're talking to a Chinese student who's grown up in an environment where they never went to church, where they weren't in a culture where they were being taught about this. Let's say you're talking to someone who's come here from India, and they've grown up in a society with completely different ideas about gods than the God that you've encountered and known. What things are at the top of your list to talk about? Maybe it's that he's the one who made everything that is, and he's all-powerful and he knows everything. It's true enough, but it's not one of the things that God hones in on himself when he says, boast that you know and understand me. He's not talking about his power He's talking about his heart. 
He's talking about not what he's done so much as what he's like and what matters to him. It's not about his majesty. It's about his character. Do you know him? He says that you know and understand me. Not just what I can do, but the kinds of things I delight to do. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. God delights in his loving kindness. It's covenant mercy. We're going to unpack that. He delights in justice, in righteousness. But these are not three separate items that are disconnected to each other. They are unified together because they are part of who God is. So let's take a closer look. You'll see up on the screen here uh, a little look at this idea of kindness. Right? This idea of kindness. In English, kindness here, it's like a watered-down word compared to the idea that's trying to be expressed uh, in Jeremiah 9.23. In fact, it's a Hebrew word that over the generations has English translators have always struggled to translate it because it's so pregnant with meaning that you can't get one word that makes it work. In 1535, in one of the very first English Bible translations ever, it's the Cloverdale translation, Bob Cloverdale did it. It was a precursor to the King James 100 years later. Uh, he invented a new English word to describe it. And the word he invented has made its way into the language for several hundred years, and it's loving kindness. He had to make a compound out of it because there wasn't one way to put all of the meaning together. And and the, the Hebrew word is hesed. And it's describing what sometimes in your English translation is called the steadfast love of the Lord. Translators use a variety of different translations for it. But when God says, boast in this, that you understand and know me, that I'm the Lord who exercises hesed, He's saying, get to know me through the lens of my covenant love, through the covenant mercy and kindness that I show. It's who I am. It's what overflows. God's love, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. It's constant. It never comes to an end. It never fails. It doesn't go up and down. It doesn't have good days and bad days, sunny days, rainy days. It never quits. It never stops. God's steadfast love is great. These are these are adjectives that are added to it. When you come upon this word in the Bible, there's there are always adjectives and other words stuck around it. It's like the sun that causes planets and other things to orbit around them. There's a gravity to Hesed that draws in other words, draws in other ideas, so they orbit together. It's it's the it's the word that's used when, when it says in Psalm 103 that as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the Lord's love, as I said, for those who fear him. God's love is, is huge, bigger than we can imagine. His kindness is immense. His, it is constant. It is unfazed. It's get to know me in this, that I am the Lord who exercises this kind of loving kindness. And one thing to understand about this loving kindness is hesed is relational. It's always being shown to someone. It's always for someone. It doesn't exist in isolation. It overflows 
in relation. It's a relational concept. It's not so much a word as a world that we're drawn in to this. Uh, and you find over and over that chesed is accompanied by and. <laughs> and so you see it right here in this verse. Who exercises this loving kindness, but it's not alone. It's It constantly shows up along with other attributes, expressions of who God is. And here, his chesed gives birth to these twins. They're not identical twins. They're kind of like fraternal twins. They're, they're siblings closely related and connected. They are justice and righteousness. I, in some languages, they're so closely connected that you end up using the same word. Por ejemplo, en español, es justicia. La misma palabra por los dos conceptos. Yes? You guys, in, sorry. Sí, gracias. Our other Spanish speakers are downstairs. And, but repeatedly through scripture, righteousness and justice show up as something God does. They're not abstract qualities that exist up there. They're not um, a legal criterion. No, no, no. They're actions of the heart of God in practice. That's why in this verse it says that he exercises kindness. He exercises justice. He exercises righteousness. They're action words. And you can find it. You can look through I'd have them on the screen for you if we had it. Don't worry about that. Um, but it's in action. And friends, when we get to know and understand the Lord, that he is the Lord who exercises covenant love and mercy, justice and faithfulness, it's, it expresses itself in action. We can't get to know that through intellectual study. We know it through encounter and action. And when we put God's character into practice, when we walk in the knowledge of him, when we walk in said, when we walk in justice and righteousness, man, it can cause people to cross boundaries that people in our culture wouldn't expect or understand. Uh, I've got a number of good pictures for you here from 1996. Here's what happened in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1996. There was a Ku Klux Klan rally being organized in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is not exactly the part of the country that you think of when you think about Ku Klux Klan rallies, right? Do you normally think middle of Yankee land or farther south for Ku Klux Klan rallies, right? But they were organizing a rally in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, where, among other things, they, it was very in your face that they chose to do that there at that time. Tensions were extremely high. There was a counter-demonstration of others who came to protest against the Klan, the police had put up fences to try to separate the two groups. And there was an 18-year-old student named uh, Kashia Thomas who was there at the time. She was part of the counter-demonstration against the Klan. And somehow there was a guy with a Confederate flag T-shirt, an SS tattoo on his arm, who wandered on the wrong side of the fence and ended up in the group of counter-demonstrators against the Klan. And uh, some lady with a megaphone shouted out that there was a Klansman in the, in the group, uh, and they wanted to chase him off. So they started chasing this guy, and he fell down. And he was suddenly surrounded now by a, an angry mob of counter-demonstrators who started beating him bad, kicking him on the ground. And Kashia 
threw herself down on this guy who was wearing symbols of hatred for people like her. She threw herself down on this guy and put her own body between the people who were beating him when he'd done nothing good for her at all. And that's the expression of God's mercy and his justice and his righteousness that intervenes and takes action. And in this case, potentially self-sacrificially, put herself there. It's not about an ideology. It's about an action love that steps in. Does it? I'm sorry you can't see the pictures. I could pass my laptop around, actually. Um, so there's, there's about three or four pictures here. They're all black and white. They did have color film back in 1996. Some of you are younger and you not realize that. Um, but if you just use some arrow keys to go back and forth, you'll be able to share those. I'll leave that up here when we're done. You can come take a closer look. So knowing God does require action on our parts. We cannot come to know and understand him, that he is the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness intellectually, just from studying, just from reading a book, even if that book is your Bible. Hello? Faith involves action on our part. And the way that we've allowed theology, the, the idea of knowing and understanding the Lord to become reduced to just an intellectual study in this country is not okay. It's not acceptable for us here. It's not okay that we think that believing God is something we can reduce to memorizing and being able to answer questions about. No, we've got to be people who practice kindness, justice, and righteousness. People of said, knowing God can't happen just in our heads because the kind of boast he's talking about is getting to know his heart and sharing his heart. We need a desire to know and understand him, a hunger to be near him and to walk in his ways. And that's one of the challenges of what Jeremiah brings to us. He says, this is what the Lord says. The things that most people are chasing, relying on, and boasting in are worthless. What are you boasting in? What are you aspiring to? What are you aiming for? God says, come get to know me. Come walk with me in the things that delight me. These are the things, kindness and justice and righteousness, that you'll get to know me as you walk in. The fact is that a song isn't a song, really, without the music. You can put the words on the screen. In fact, I did. Uh, Just don't get to see them. But that's all they'll be. They're words. If you put the sheet music up, is the sheet music the song? No, it's the instructions for the song. It's like the blueprint isn't the house. Do you see the point? And instead, God's invitation is to join in the music that he's making. It's heavenly music. But where does he exercise it? He says, I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness. Where? On earth. For in these I delight. And there's an invitation here to sing a song, to join in with the Lord. It's the music of heaven. It's what delights his heart. But we'll only know him when we start singing along. Does that make sense? And so I just want to invite us as we take communion 
I don't know whether our, our crack team of musicians in the choir want to join us again. Or, it's not necessary. Because the song that God's inviting us in isn't one that we sing in this auditorium together. It's the one that sings from our hearts. We hear and we catch the melody from the Lord and from his heart as we go through the week. So these guys are going to begin to distribute a little bit of bread, a little cup of juice. In themselves, that's, that's all they are. But they're an invitation from Jesus to partake of his body and his blood, to draw near to him in humility and to say, Lord, I've got nothing else to boast in except who you are. To say, Lord Jesus, it's because you took my place. Your body was broken so that I could be whole. Your blood was shed to wash and cleanse me and so that I could have your righteousness instead of my own sin and the punishment for that. So I want to invite us to pray. Go ahead and take a piece of bread and a cup of juice as they come by. And then when they've been distributed, we'll pause and share them together. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming from heaven in covenant love and mercy for us. Lord, thank you for not putting intention, your your love and your justice, but they find unity and expression so clearly at the cross. Lord Jesus, thank you for becoming our righteousness, for being covenant mercy in our own lives. And Lord, I pray that for myself, my brothers and sisters, God, wherever we're arrogantly relying on or, or boasting in anything except you, Lord, we repent. Sorry, God. Lord, we're sorry for prizing more something else that comes from your hand than prizing you yourself. Lord, we're sorry for thinking much of ourselves instead of finding the humility that comes in your shadow. Lord, we repent of our self-sufficiency. Lord, of the, the arrogance of our achievement. And we glory in this, that you emptied yourself to bring us to your throne. That you, Lord Jesus, gave your own life so that we could be made right and come back into relationship with you. Lord, thank you for your covenant mercies. God, thank you for not treating us as our sins deserve or according to what our iniquities have earned for us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this loving kindness that's better than life. We declare this morning that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, that your mercies never come to an end, that they're new again every morning, that your faithfulness knows no end, no boundaries, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for us, Lord. And we see that, we experience that here as we take bread and juice. And we remember, according to your word, that you, Jesus, died and rose again for us. Because, Lord, we thank you that on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread and you gave thanks and you broke it. And you gave it to your disciples and you said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Let's go ahead and take the bread. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this cup is the blood of a new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of many. We come to the Lord not to boast in our achievements, 
but to receive his kindness, the loving kindness that's better than life, his mercy, his forgiveness. And brothers and sisters, as we take this and we remember, let's also remember it's not just for us. It's for every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. It's for our neighbors, our families, our co-workers, for people who believe differently than us, people who may not like us, God loves. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If my laptop could make its way back to the table, you can come and take a closer look up here. Uh, some of those pictures of Kashia in the demonstration. And you'll see action is the overflow of God's heart. God bless you.